Hey everyone, this is Anthony Fleming, Senior Pastor of Church Alive, praying that this message is fresh, real, and powerful in your mind, your heart, your family, every part of your life. If you enjoy these messages, subscribe to it, share it with a friend to build their faith. God bless you as you lean in to the power and presence of God's Word. It's holiday weekend, MDW. If you're from Jersey, it's the unofficial start of summer, or the official start of summer, I should say, right? You guys are awfully quiet this morning. You're getting free ice cream. Wake up. <laughs> My name's Steve. I'm one of the pastors here at Church Alive, and uh, it's an honor to have you with us here. For those of you joining with us online, welcome. And I'm very excited to be with you this morning to continue on our Relabeled series. So before I share, I want to start and pray. So Father, we thank you for today. I pray, Jesus, God, that your presence, Lord God, would just penetrate all of doubt, all of hurt, all of distraction that God in this moment in this environment where you've been so welcomed already that God your presence would be so tangible Lord that what you want to say would be communicated thoroughly that God it would be received I pray for eyes to open ears to open and hearts to be softened today so that father as we begin to look even more about labels and things like that that God you would affect the change in your people that you want to see that God faith would come where it's been lacking and that identity would be formed where it's been misplaced. So Lord, we thank you and we worship you and we honor you in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Thank you, worship team. Thank you, worship team, you guys are great. So many of you may not know this about me, but I play guitar and I used to work at a local music store from high school up and through when I was in college. And while I worked there, I did, I did some guitar lessons from here and there. I did the cash register, but I also got to do the repair and the setup of stringed instruments. So electric guitars, acoustic guitars, and basses, when they would come in, I would do the repair work on them. And we had a guy who was a regular customer, his name was James, and he brought in this beat up guitar that was covered in stickers. And I've got a picture, it kinda looked like that, that isn't the exact guitar, but just this guitar had spent three decades in bars. It was covered in cigarette smoke. It had stickers all over it. The frets were rusty. When you play guitar and you sweat a lot, the junk that's on your fingers and dead skin actually gets on the fretboard and it's nasty. This guy's guitar was nasty. And he not only dropped it off and said, hey, can you clean it up and just set it up for us? He said, guys, I want you to clean it, like get the stickers off. I want this thing to look as good as you can make it. And so I actually really like detail cleaning and stuff like that. I find it very relaxing for some reason. So my boss gave it to me. And normally I had to be able to do this kind of work in about a half hour, 45 minutes. He had me, he gave me hours. And he said, do this really good for James. And so I got hot water, put it on the stickers at first to get them softened up. And then I had to get a little fine kind of rubber tool so that I wouldn't scratch the finish. And I got underneath the stickers, lifted them off, used a little bit of goo gun to get the adhesive off. I cleaned up the frets with some steel wool. I polished them. I got the rust off. I had to use, that finger junk was so thick, I had to use a razor blade. Ugh. Scrape it off a little bit, then steel wool the fretboard, right? And so when James came to pick this thing up, I was excited because I had spent hours cleaning this dude's guitar. And he came in and he was from a, he was a rock, in a rock cover band. He did 70s and 80s stuff, kind of a, a rocker guy. And so I popped the guitar case on the, on the display case and I'm like, the big reveal, you know what I mean? I'm like so excited to show him. I'm like, you ready? Opened it up 
and this tough guy choked up. And he just looked at it, and he's like, and he picked it up, and he was just turning it around, looking at it. And he was like, and, and he told me, and I didn't know this, that that was his first guitar, and his dad had bought it for him. So for three decades, dirt, grime, labels, stickers had been put all over this thing to the point where it really didn't resemble what was originally given to him. And then through a cleaning process where the stickers were removed and the adhesive was cleaned off and the frets were polished, now all of a sudden when he looked at this thing, it's like he saw his father again. And so for many of us, labels are just a part of life, right? For many of us, they've been put on us by other people, but we've also put them on ourselves, the good ones and the bad ones. So often these labels have been with us for such a long time, and some of them have been on you as long as you can even remember, to be honest. Other ones, there were moments where life got hard, or there was a traumatic experience, and boom, a label got put on you. But other times there was a great achievement, and even in those moments, we put labels on ourselves. But for the ones that have been on us for so long, it just seems like they're supposed to be there. The, la- the stickers that were on that guitar for like three decades were so worn that when you tried to feel the edge of it to figure out like where the sticker was at, you almost couldn't feel it. It was rolled off and it almost just seemed like it was part of it, like it was just made to be there. And for so many of us, these labels that are on us are like that. It's just who we are. And it's not that it's not supposed to be there. It's that it's always been there, so it must always be. You know, throughout history, God has been terribly, terribly concerned with what you say and more importantly, what you associate with. If you go back all the way back to the garden when there was these trees and God said, you can eat anything in the garden, but don't eat from that one tree. It wasn't that God was being restrictive and trying to prevent us from something that was good because he's controlling. He was actually preventing us from entering into a different relationship with him. He was saying, I don't want you to take of that tree because I don't want you to dissociate from me. I don't want you to be disconnected from me. And then if you look, when he begins with Abraham, he makes a covenant with Abraham. And then from that point on, we have God's people. We have Israel. And if you're Israel, you are in the covenant. You are in the family. You are God's people. And if you are not Israel, you are not one of God's people in the Old Testament, right? It's a very clear-cut distinction. And yet, when God gave Israel the law, when he gave them, through Moses, the rules that they were to follow, many of those rules had to do with who they associated with and why. And again, is it because God was being controlling? No, it's because God knows that this world desires to label you. And God said to Israel all the way back centuries ago, I don't want you to associate with things that are not from me, because then you're going to get labels good and bad on you from people. It's supposed to be coming from me. So all of this relationship that we see all throughout history in the Bible, it's actually God trying to maintain relationship with us so that our identity remains healthy and rooted in him and not in anything else, other people or even in ourselves. And this series is so important. It is so important. I don't know if you realize how important it is It is so critical, actually, to this idea of freedom. And so much of what we're covering here flows out of our Freedom Transform group. I want to take a minute to just look at a couple things from the last two weeks, because I think that sometimes reinforcing things and hearing it again is how it gets in. I don't know about you, but I need to hear things many times before it kind of gets through up here. 
In week one, Pastor Anthony talked about what are you wearing? And he had this big thought, you cannot not wear labels. I love that. It's a double negative. You cannot not wear labels. But isn't it the truth? We all have labels. Again, like I said, good and bad. We looked, at the air, we looked at the life of Joseph, and we looked at how what he was known as or what he was labeled as, it changed over time, right? He started out as a son, but then he wound up as a slave. Then he wound up as a convicted rapist. Then he wound up in prison as a convict. And then he wound up second in charge of the most powerful nation of earth at the time. It's a nice little change, isn't it? But you see how through his life, labels came and labels went. And he shared this, and I think it's so important, I wanted to put it up on the screen again. When one of your identities, or labels, takes precedence over your primary God-given identity, you can easily be manipulated by a culture who is always looking for followers. That's true now, and that was true when God gave the law through Moses, and he said, I don't want you associating or intermarrying with other people. I need you to stay you, because when you stay you, you look to me. And when you associate and marry out and do all of these things, and you blend with everyone else, how different can you be from the world? Because the world desires to put labels on you. And then last week, we looked at the original design for us in Genesis 1 was to reflect the image of God. But the enemy's designed for you is to doubt, deny, and redesign your label. To look at that image that God tries to preserve within us, and then the enemy wants to pervert it. He wants to take all of the good things that God has put in you, and he wants to, even if he can't outright contradict it, he wants to skew the truth just a little bit. Or get your eyes off just enough so that you stop looking up, and you start looking around, and you start looking within. There's two important observations that come out of Matthew chapter 4. When, when Jesus is baptized and he's filled with the Holy Spirit, the Spirit leads him out into the wilderness for 40 days where he fasts and he's tempted. And we see that in the temptations, it reveals to us two important ideas. The first is that Jesus puts primary importance on consuming, digesting, and the med med meditation of God's word. He responded to every single temptation with the word of God, right? And then in Matthew 4, 9, we see that the devil said to him, all of these, he's talking about all the nations of the earth. He said, I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. All of these I will give to you, meaning you'll be in charge of the nations, which means you will have all the power. You will have all the money. You can fulfill every lust. You can fulfill every desire. You'll be all powerful on the earth. You can do whatever you want if you'll just worship me. And what the enemy really shows us, he shows us his hand in this instance. And the second thought is that the primary goal of the enemy is to distract you from God's purpose and plan and to get you to worship you. It's to get you to worship you. The work of relabeling ourselves is an, is an ongoing process in this world. I want to kind of just illustrate some thoughts to you. My parents were here, but they ran out with my son because he was screaming during worship. <laughs> so they ruined my illustration here. But when I was born, my parents put a label on me, Stephen. No, I was not named after some great person or somebody in the family that achieved something tremendous. <laughs> they were in the doctor's office getting a sonogram and looked up at the wall and saw his diploma, and they were like, Stephen, eh, that sounds nice. <laughs> so... Let's see. So, again, you start out with a label that's put on you by someone else. Then, I put my faith in Jesus. Oh, cool. I've got the righteous label now. When you put your faith in Jesus, you don't achieve righteousness through serving him and through praying and through doing things. And there's a certain point in your Christian faith where all of a sudden, boom, you're righteous. 
The book of Romans, the Apostle Paul makes it clear that at the moment of salvation, you are righteous. You have right standing with your Father in heaven at the moment of salvation. Period. All of your sin has been forgiven. That is why you are truly, completely saved to the uttermost by the blood of Jesus. Because all of that has been removed. But then what happens is that even though we have our faith in Jesus, even though we have this label, this sticker called righteousness that's been put on us, when something happens in this world that we mess up, either us or someone else will take a label, maybe I'll say failure, but what we do is we take this label that's not from heaven, that's not what God says about you, it's what you say about yourself or it's what other people say about you, and yet this is the one that we go, nah, I'm going to just kind of go like and it's sticky, and it covers over the real identity that's deep down on the inside of you. And this is the other problem now. What happens is, because we've covered over that label, when we try to talk to God, and we try to pursue things to try to fix things, it says forgiven, my, my penmanship's sloppy, sorry. This says forgiven. What happens so often is that because the label, the bad sticky label that got on top of the one that's the real me is the one that stays there, when we take this and we try to put it on, it's like we forgot to take the back off. And then you wonder why you still have the same problems. You wonder why the same sin comes again and again and again and again and again. It's because the label that you're trying to put on, it's not sticky enough. So the question is then, how do we deal with this? So the, name, the title of my message today, if you're taking notes, is called Sticky Labels. <laughs> Sticky Labels. There's plenty of times, I should probably take these off, right? Anybody looking at pictures from today are going to be like, what was going on on that stage? But here's the thing. Throughout Jesus' life on earth, there were many times that people put labels on him. Good, and, and, and good inherently good and bad. And I want to look at a couple of them. In Matthew chapter 13... It says this, and when Jesus had finished these parables, he went away from there and coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished. And they said, where did this man get this wisdom and mighty works? Where did this guy learn this stuff? Is not this the carpenter's son? Isn't this, isn't his mother Mary? Are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas here? Are not all his sisters with us? So where on earth did this guy get this stuff? The temptation here was to just say, he's average. He's normal. He's just a carpenter. Like, nothing really good comes out of Joseph's house. He's not that bright. He's just a carpenter. He just does this. And I've known people that have grown up in households where their parents maybe weren't CEOs or rock stars in their careers or something like that and had a, um, had a blue-collar job or something like that. And sometimes there's, I don't want to say shame, but sometimes you look at that and you see that we look at achievements so much like it's important. And yet even here, 2,000 years ago, people were holding that against Jesus. They were saying, nothing good's ever going to come out of that family. Are you kidding me? He's average. Anyone ever told you you were average or below average? In Matthew chapter 16, now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi and asked his disciples, who do the people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. 
And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Now notice when he says something, who do people say that I am? They put out religious titles. So these weren't necessarily bad, but they were wrong. They were saying, this is what people are saying, you know, either based out of Jewish teaching or based on cultural expectations. This is what people are saying they think you are because they know you're something special, but they don't know what to make of you yet. Okay. And notice what Jesus does, though. There's labels that are trying to be put on him that aren't inherently bad, per se, but they're not correct. What is the one label that he actually compliments and, 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 and commends? It's the correct one. It's when Simon Peter says, but you are the Christ. That is the only label that Jesus says, blessed are you. You got it right. They were wrong. Good and bad. Average, bad. Any of these other things, bad. But you, you got the correct label. I will allow you to stick that one on me, the Christ, right? In Matthew 11, we see this. For John came, he's talking about John the Baptist. They were asking him, and he was talk, talking to them about John the Baptist. He said, for John came either eating or drinking, and they say he's got a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, a glutton, a drunkard, and a friend of tax collectors and sinners, which basically, if you were associating with them, you were guilty by proxy, right, is really what they're saying. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. So people, Jesus said this, that he knew that people were saying about him, they were calling him a glutton, they were calling him a drunkard, and they were calling him basically a sinner and, a, and an unrighteous person like a tax collector was. Lord knows what else people said about Jesus that is not recorded in scripture, right? Because he was coming against incomes. He was coming against Jewish traditions. He was coming against cultural norms. He was flipping the world on its head. Even secular historians recognize that the teaching of Jesus was paradigm shifting, culturally conflicting. People didn't know what to do with him. So there were tons of labels that people wanted to put on him. And yet, it seems like the only one that really stuck was the right one, Christ. So I want to ask you, what's the difference? Obviously, we're not Jesus. It's a blanket statement, okay? <laughs> but why does it seem like it's so easy for the bad labels to stick on us or even the good labels that are not godly to stick on us or not pointing towards him? Why does it seem like it's so easy for those things to stick on us and yet for him it just bounced right off him? My first thought I want to share with you today is that submission to God makes bad labels less sticky. Submission to God makes bad labels less sticky. You know, the, the Apostle Paul said in Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that be, by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is the good and acceptable and perfect will. We have this concept that maybe you've heard about renewing of the mind or the transformation of the mind after you've put your faith in Christ. And, you know, many people think that science and faith are, are um, mutually exclusive, that, there, that there's no way that the two of those things can exist, that either you embrace science or you embrace faith. I like it when those people see my LinkedIn page where it says that I'm an environmental scientist and a pastor. <laughs> kind of funny. No one's ever asked me about it yet, but I wonder what people think. They are not mutually exclusive. In fact, science very, very much, especially in emerging technology and emerging science that we have now with neuroscience, is validating and confirming the things that we see in Scripture. Science builds faith. It doesn't tear it down. 
The problem that you have to realize is that science, just like anything else, has an agenda. And when the secular agenda is infused into something, it will certainly try to squash faith. So be careful about your resources, but I'm telling you today, science does not exclude or disprove or otherwise tear down faith. It actually builds it up. And we see... So what's a practical way then that we can endeavor on relabeling ourselves and dealing with these sticky labels that have been put on us for so long? And how do we ensure that the right labels get put on us? Well, advancements in the field of neuroscience and neuroplasticity recently have shown us some important information. Pastor Anthony started to share on it last week. And again, because it's so important, I want to share and just hit on these things once more. I want to reinforce why it's so important. And I want to talk about the last two a little bit more. These are out of the book, Switch on Your Brain by Dr. Caroline Leaf. The, the, the endeavor to the practical transformation of your mind or submission of your mind is actually the renewal of your mind. And so practices that we're talking about here are a practical application of even what the Apostle Paul was telling us to do. And so this isn't some distinct um, self-improvement kind of thing infused with faith. This is actually the practical way, according to science, that that scripture is lived out in you. So that's why this is so important to embrace. First thought, the first step in this is to gather. It's not even to scrutinize yet, it's to gather. What goes into your heart? What are you taking in on a daily basis? The good, the bad, and just, fil- just look at it all. Don't try to filter it yet, don't try to deal with it all, but just blank, blank slate. If you've ever been to a nutritionist who's trying to figure out something wrong, the first thing they tell you to do is just make a, a food diary. Just write down everything you're eating. And when you start to write down everything you're eating, you start to go, uh, don't know if I want to write this. My second dinner at 11 o'clock at night. My wife just yelled at me. You need to gather. You need a focused reflection. You need to think then. Now is the point where you've gathered, you've looked at, really, what am I taking in? What environments am I putting myself in? What am I watching? What am I listening to? Who am I associating with? All of that thing together. And now I need to look at it and say, okay, now I'm going to start to divide it out. What is the stuff that's really building me? And what is the stuff that's really tearing me down? What is the stuff that is honoring God? And what is the stuff that's dishonoring to God? And we have to be willing to identify those things. But so often we're still attached to the stuff that dishonors God and we don't want to put it in that bucket. And that is why focused reflection is so important. Writing down, Pastor Anthony challenged us on this 21-day challenge to write down the good things, the things that you want to focus on, the things that you want to reflect on, the good that is coming out of this observation and this focused reflection. Writing down is so important because it mimics physically what happens in your brain as you're taking in and assimilating information. It reinforces Science has shown us that as you write things, your brain changes. That as you focus on thoughts, your brain chemistry changes. That the thoughts that you focus on become predominant because in your brain, it puts special weight on the stuff that you're looking at now. And the stuff that you refuse to think about is the stuff that goes away over time. It's the thing that your brain literally chemically isolates and makes smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. That is why this is so important. Revisiting, identifying what is not desirable and focusing on the good. The Apostle Paul told us in Philippians 4.8, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Do we do this well? Does the news do this well for us? Does your feed on it, social media do this well for you? No. 
It doesn't. We don't do this well. Why? Because the labels that are on us that are sticky, they like to be reinforced. So we like to find the stuff that reinforces the brokenness that we feel, the failure that we feel on the inside, the rejection that we've experienced. It's weird, but we're actually still attracted to the stuff that hurts us because we don't know what it's like to not have it. And so we continue to embrace it. And now active reach. This is the application of you've identified all of these things. You've written them down and now you're starting to internalize them. Proverbs 18.21 says death and life are in the power of the tongue. When I was dealing with, I used to have outrageous anger, like blackout rage for no reason anger. Something would happen in my car and my car like wouldn't shift right. I would punch my rearview mirror off the car. You did not want to be in a car with me. <laughs> Right? And so I had to go on this journey of dealing with my anger. I didn't have these steps available to me at that time. But I decided in, in, in an active way, I would confront angry feelings. And when I started to say things that I knew didn't align with the man of God that I am, didn't honor my wife, didn't honor what God paid for me to have, when I said those things or when I let those emotions come out, I would literally say, Steve, we don't do that anymore. And I don't know why third person worked for me. And then you get into a fight with yourself. Yes, we do. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> Again, you didn't want to be in a car with me 10 years ago. But listen, for the practical to work, there's got to be something else that changes. For the practical to work, we need a change of the heart. We're not after character change here because it only lasts so long and it only takes enough to break it. We are after a renewal of the heart that empowers our decision-making to be definitive and long-lasting. That is what we're after for here. A renewal of the heart that empowers our decision-making to be definitive and long-lasting. That practical approach works while your heart is being renewed simultaneously alongside with it. Yeah. Yeah. Pastor Anthony said last week, the essence of worship is not lifting your hands in an atmosphere, but in obedience. Yeah. And that leads me to my second point that I want to share with you today. The work of Jesus on the cross was for his glory, not ours. The work of Jesus on the cross was for his glory, not for ours. God loves you more than you could possibly understand or imagine. God loves you with a definition on the word love that we couldn't possibly put into words in such a way that we cannot fathom on this side of eternity. God loves you. He desires you to be set free from incorrect thinking and unhealthy living so that you can walk in relationship with him and the identity he has for you. Not in the labels that people want to put on you or you want to put on yourself and the things that he has for you. And in the Old Testament, we see how faithful God was with Israel, how faithful he was. He always came back to them when they ran away from him, always came back to them when they honored something else other than him, always came back to them when they repented from worshiping other gods, he always came back to them. But we see that God had a motive for what he did with Israel. When God led his people out of captivity in Egypt, God was keenly aware that when an opportunity was made possible for human beings to experience victory, that their natural tendency of their heart was to think they did it. He was keenly aware that we tend to do this. And that in the process, that it would steal something that's most precious to him, his worship. In Exodus chapter 14, it says, And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you. And you only are going to be silent because I'm not going to let you think you did it. I'm not going to even let you talk and think that you had anything to do with what I'm about to do. 
You're going to shut your mouth and you're going to watch me work. <laughs> the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? <laughs> why are you bothering me? Go tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, and that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them. And I, I will get glory over Pharaoh and all of his hosts and his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I, I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh and his chariots and his horsemen. God, God is jealous for your affection. God is jealous for your affection. God desires that you would look to him in everything. That in everything you would look to him. Not in people, not in places, not in things, not in careers, not in spouses, not in serving, not in titles, not in careers, but to him. His desire is for us to be set free from the bondage of idol worship. And while this is to our benefit, because he loves you, this actually accomplishes a, a greater purpose. In Ephesians 5, the Apostle Paul is, is admonishing husbands. Verse 25, and husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to her? So that he might present the church to himself. When you put your faith in Jesus and you've been baptized through salvation into the body of believers, and you are part of the church, you realize that Jesus poured out his blood on the church corporately, that corporately we are sanctified, and you realize that it is because you are so precious that you are the gift he gives back to himself. He takes you, and he cleanses you, and he sanctifies you, so that in the body he can present us corporately to himself at the end time as beautiful, holy, and righteous in complete unity with him in heaven forever. It's for his glory, not for our own. So my third point that I want to end with today is that worshiping God makes good labels stickier. Worshiping God makes good labels stickier. When we allow this renewal of the heart to happen, when we recognize that everything that he's done in us is for his glory because he loves us, when we recognize that we have value that in, and then corporately placed into the church that we have gifts that he put in us to bless other people with, how else, what other response do we have but to worship him? And then in the process of worshiping him, those labels that used to not stick anymore when you're worshiping him, start to become stickier. And those are the things now that go over the bad. Those are the things now that start to redefine me. Those are the things that I meditate on. And those are the things that have real effective change. And it's because my heart is changing along with my confession. So while we honor all of the active service men and women, and importantly, all of those who have close family member or friends that gave their lives defending the freedom in this country. We honor you guys today. How much more should we honor the one who paid the ultimate sacrifice for us, Jesus? He's the one who liberates us from our bondage. He's the one who can remove all the labels that have put on you, regardless of their age or their severity. I'm gonna put something long on the screen, but I wanna summarize 
what today was about. It says this. When we implement practical approach to the renewing of the mind, those steps that we talked about, when we implement practical approach to the renewing of the mind, coupled with an ongoing reminder internally of who Jesus is and what he has done, who he is and what he has done and why he has done it for you, we will consistently find ourselves in a place where surrender and faith are natural and we are growing in the Lord. That's the pattern. And don't you realize that that end there, surrender and faith and growing, worship is infused in that life because you're pointing back to Him. You're giving it all back to Him. When you surrender to Him, it's all for Him. It's all because of Him. It's inherent in who you are. And when it's inherent in who you are, this, the good things get stickier and the bad things are not as sticky. In Colossians 3.2, the Apostle Paul said, set your minds on things that are above and not on the things that are on the earth. And I want to encourage you today. It's hard. Some of these labels that have been on you for so long, it is difficult to even think that they could be taken off of you. But sometimes it just takes faith, it takes surrender, and it takes maybe even realizing that they weren't that sticky to begin with. I, taught, I opened up this message talking about cleaning up a guitar and how when the person saw it, cleaned up and in almost like new condition, that it reminded him, it reflected his father to him. When we put our faith in Jesus, that's what happens on the inside. You're sanctified, you're made righteous, like I said before, you are clean. And then when people see you, you're a reflection of your Father in heaven. Because you are valued, you are gifted, you were bought at a price, and because God so sincerely desires to be in relationship with you that you wouldn't allow relationship with people and things of this world to distract you from what He has for you. But maybe you're in this place today and you've never surrendered the ownership of your life to Jesus. You've never recognized that you are separated from Him and that it is by His blood and sacrifice and resurrection alone that you can be forgiven in this world and inherit the gift of eternal life. So I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and bow your heads with me today. And we're going to say a prayer in a moment, but I believe that the Holy Spirit is here and that saving faith is being imparted into people right now. We believe that the Father is drawing His children back home to Him in this moment. This is an incredibly important moment. We're going to say a prayer in a moment, and it's not the prayer that saves you. It's the attitude of, and the position of your heart towards your Father in heaven, recognizing that you're separated from Him and that He and He alone is the one that can bring you home. So if you have that faith today to say, yes, I believe in the saving faith of Jesus Christ, say this prayer along with us. And let's repeat this after me. Jesus, forgive me. I recognize that I am a sinner and that I am separated from you. But I believe that by your life, by your death, and by your resurrection, you purchased forgiveness for me. Today I am forgiven. Holy Spirit, dwell in me. Renew my mind. 
Let the old things pass away. We praise you, Lord, in Jesus' name. I thank you, Father God, for the transformation that's occurred in this room. If you said that prayer, I'm going to ask you to slip up your hand on the count of three. One, two, and three. If you said that prayer for the first time, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I see those hands up high for me. Up high for me. I see your hands in the middle there. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. We rejoice because eternity changed before us today. We rejoice, Father God, because labels that have been put on us that are not meant to be there can fall away. So I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, that there would be a transformation, Father God, a renewal of the mind that begins today, that, Lord God, the old things would go and the new things would come. I pray, Father God, that where people have been known by things that are not of you, that, Father, they would give you all the glory, all the praise, and that, Father God, in the process of surrendering, in the process of actively renewing the mind, that, Father, there would be true, meaningful, lifelong transformation in the minds and hearts of your people. That, Father God, Lord, it is all for the glory and the praise of Jesus Christ. That, God, you would be exalted because of the things that you are doing in this church, the things that you are doing in these families, the things that you are doing in this community outside, the things that you are doing in workplaces that we go to. God, I pray that everything, in all things and through all things, your name, Jesus, would be glorified. Lord, we love you and we worship you in Jesus' name.